This morning, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 15, and the passage or the article of our statement of faith that we just read touches on some of the very themes that we're going to see in today's passage. And that's not because we were clever and found the one that fit and put it with the text. It's just we each week go through another article in our statement of faith, and it happened to work out really nicely this time. But we're in Mark 15, at the beginning of Mark 15. And if you're turning in your Bible, trying to figure out where that is, that's in the New Testament. It's about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And big numbers are going to be the chapters. Small numbers are the verses. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Be Father, we come before you grateful for your word. We pray that we'd be a church centered on it. We pray that you would show us clearly who you are in it. That not only would you show us who you are, but you would clearly show us who we are. We pray for clarity in my speech. We pray for the hearts of all of us here, that we be receptive to what your word says insofar as I proclaim it accurately. God, we pray also for our nation, that you would guide our nation, that you would give our rulers wisdom, especially as they continue to navigate the situation with Russia and Ukraine. God, we pray for our Supreme Court justices. We pray for Ketanji Brown Jackson, recent confirmation to the Supreme Court. God, we ask that you would equip her to rule righteously, to judge righteously. God, we recognize that that will take a change of heart, and so we are asking that you would provide that, that she would base her judgments off of what you say. She would submit herself to your rule, and that her judgments would reflect that. 
God, we pray for Huber Heights First Baptist Church. We're grateful for their faithful ministry. We're grateful for their partnership in the gospel. And we pray for Pastor Ryan Abbott's recovery. Lord, recently donating his kidney to his father. We pray that he would recover, that he would recover well, and that his father would too. Thank you for the gift of modern medicine. God, we ask that you would help us be a people who find our identity in Christ. And that through that, we would be engaged in our community, that they would recognize the fragrance of Christ on us. That we would seek out opportunities to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our coworkers. And God, we pray that as we spread those seeds, they would land on fertile soil. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So in uh, just a few days ago, arguably the greatest sporting event uh, was kicked off. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Masters. And if you are not a golf aficionado, then you probably at least recognize the name Tiger Woods. And so Tiger Woods, arguably the greatest golfer ever to play, at least in the top two or three, in the year 2000, found himself testifying in the case against a man named Anthony Lamar Taylor. This man had stolen Tiger's identity and had applied for at least a dozen lines of credit, which he used to charge thousands of dollars in fraudulent purchases. He bought TVs, furniture, a car, electronics, and more using the unauthorized card. By the time he was caught, he had stolen more than $50,000 in goods and services in Tiger Woods' name. Taylor, the identity thief, for a time, enjoyed the financial side of being Tiger Woods. However, he was eventually caught, and he was convicted on eight felony counts and sentenced to 200 years to life in prison for his crimes against Tiger. And we're grateful, if we think about that story, we're grateful that the guy who stole Tiger Woods' identity was caught. We're grateful that they enacted justice to the best of their ability. We're grateful that the innocent man was financially restored and the guilty man was sentenced. It would feel odd if Tiger, the innocent one, was sent to prison and the guilty man who stole his denny was able to, to go free. We would look at that and we'd say, that's awful. What in the world is happening there? But in today's text, we see something similar. And my hope is that by the time we're done looking at it, our response wouldn't be, that's awful. Our response would be, thank God. Thank God that we get to swap identities. And so if I were to summarize the sermon in one sentence, here's what it would be. And I'm sure you'll get word for word what it is here. Because the innocent and righteous king of the Jews was unjustly delivered to be crucified, the guilty, murderous, thieving rebel is released from his just prison sentence. You got that, right? Because the innocent and righteous king of the Jews was unjustly delivered to be crucified, the guilty, murderous, thieving rebel is released from his just prison sentence. If you want a concise version of that, then it goes like this. Because the king was delivered, the rebel may be released. Because the king was delivered, the rebel 
may be released. And so we find ourselves again in Mark. It's, we're in the second to last chapter of Mark. We've been working through that passage by passage, trying to expositionally go through the book. And the theme that we keep saying is, is this book overarching theme is that it's God restoring his wayward people. And this passage takes place on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. So this is the day that he is going to be nailed to a cross. The night before, he was betrayed by Judas. He was deserted by his disciples. And he was put on trial in front of religious leaders and eventually condemned as deserving death. And now this morning... Whereas either early, early in the morning or late last night, he was put on trial in front of the religious leaders. Now this morning, he's put on trial in front of the irreligious leaders, the political leaders. And as we look at this passage, I want us to see three characters. You can do a little bit of a character study on three different people here. The first is a Roman ruler. Second is a righteous redeemer. And then a released rebel. You find that in your bulletin on the notes page. A Roman ruler, a righteous redeemer, and a released rebel. So let's look at that first one. A Roman ruler. If you'd like, you can put in parentheses next to this, Pilate. This is who we're talking about. Pilate is the Roman ruler. Now, Pilate is a primary focal point of this story. His name is used eight times in these 15 verses. And to put it into perspective, the name Jesus is only used three times. The name King of the Jews is also only used three times. And the name Barabbas only used three times. And so the name Pilate being used eight times, nearly three times as much as any other character in the story, means that we need to pay close attention to this individual. And so Pilate is a Roman governor. He is the ruler of a territory. He oversees Rome's power in Jerusalem. And during this time, the Passover, they would send in the governor to make sure that peace was kept. At the Passover, we talked earlier in Mark 13 that over a million Jews would come into the area to partake in the Passover. And so they want to make sure that they don't use this as an opportunity to overthrow Roman rule. And so Pilate's brought in during the Passover essentially to keep the peace. So he comes in and he's met with some upset Jews who want to crucify Jesus. But because they're a Roman-ruled territory, they can't carry out death sentences. And so they have to essentially go to Pilate for their dirty work. He said that Jesus has been condemned as deserving crucifixion. So now <laughs> since they can't carry it out, they go to Pilate. And Pilate recognizes this. Pilate's a smart dude. So in John 18, as he talks about this, he points out that Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But the Jews responded by saying, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And they're not talking about Jewish law. They're talking about the law that's over them as Rome. They cannot put people to death. And so they're coming to Pilate saying, hey, this is the law that is over us as a territory. We can't put someone to death. So this guy deserves death in, in our account. And so therefore, take care of it. Now, Pilate, as we get to know this character, we realize that he's not one for conflict. And so we see Pilate tries to people please. 
He tries to um, please these people. One of the ways that he does it is through this annual custom that he has enacted. This was not something that was typical in Roman ruled territories. It seems to have been unique to Pilate. And so what he would do is every year he would release one prisoner. And here's what it did. So for somebody who really wants to be on good terms with people, this was a, this was a cunning move. And so if it's a Jewish area, Jerusalem, but it's Roman ruled, then what they would do is they, they have these prisons. And because it's primarily a Jewish area, typically the majority of the prisoners in these Roman prisons are going to be Jewish. And so by releasing one prisoner each year, it, one, makes the residents of that area, the Jews, very happy that they get to get some of their people back because they might not totally agree with why they were imprisoned. Then it also makes the prisoners like Pilate more. So Pilate gets two parties liking him a little bit more with this custom that he's enacted in the area. And so we can see in verse 9 that Pilate, his people-pleasing, has him in a bit of a predicament here. It says in verse 9, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? In verse 12 he says, Then what shall I do? He's asking them, what shall I do? He's trying to please the crowd. Verse 15, he's wishing to satisfy the crowd. Pilate so badly wants the crowd to like him. But he also, because he wants to have the crowd like him, and he's someone who likes people liking him, he also tries to get Jesus to like him. But before we get there, we have to ask ourselves, as we look at Pilate and we see him being driven by the crowd's demands, we need to look at our own lives and say, what crowd are we living for? Are our decisions being driven by a crowd? Maybe that's the crowd at work, trying to share the gospel with coworkers as opportunity arises. Maybe you're hesitant to step into that because you're worried about what, what they might think. Maybe it'll cost you a promotion. Maybe it's the crowd at your gym. Just don't want people to know that you are a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's the, your family crowd. As you try to be more intentional with family worship, one of the great ways that you guys, you guys can be intentional, take your bulletin home. As you're trying to talk about the scriptures with your kids, you can even sing one of the songs there. The lyrics are right there for you. You don't even have to have them memorized. You can just take them home and start incorporating these songs into family worship. But maybe as you try to be intentional, that could be met with some pushback because it's weird. It's new. It's something you haven't done before. The family feels awkward by it. Maybe that's the crowd that you're trying to please. Maybe it's the public crowd of the cost that it it takes on you to have a biblical worldview. What people might think of the way that you perceive certain things. They might think that you're small-minded. So what crowd are you trying to please? Because as Pilate tries to please this crowd, he's also trying to please Jesus. And so what he does, his solution is to attempt the impossible. Which is neutrality toward Jesus. Attempts to be neutral toward him. Matthew 27 points out that Pilate took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. 
says, hey, I'm just doing what you want me to do. This is what you've called. I don't see any fault in him. So Jesus, we're still on good terms. I, don't, I actually don't think that you're doing anything wrong here. But this is what the crowd wants. So guys, I'll do what you want. I'm in the middle and washing my hands. I'm innocent of his blood. Pilate attempts to be neutral toward Jesus. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning. I want to thank you for being here. Hope you feel welcome. Hope you continue to come back. But maybe you are thinking, I'm, I would consider myself neutral toward Jesus. I'm not against Jesus. I like Christians. I've got friends who are Christians. I like a lot of the things that Jesus teaches. I haven't totally embraced everything, so I wouldn't call myself a follower of Christ. But I like Christians. I'm not against him, but I'm also not following him. I'm kind of right in the middle. So if I were to die today, God, God would get that. You understand that I'm not against him. John 3.16, that famous passage how God sent his son into the world. The very next verses speak to this. Verse 17, John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. There is no neutrality when it comes to your approach toward Christ. You're either in the camp of being already condemned because you are in Adam, or you're in the camp of not being condemned because you're in Christ. There's only one of two places that you are, even if you are a friendly non-Christian, even if you are a respectful non-Christian, even if you are a non-Christian who has a lot of Christian friends that you love and care about. If you are not following Christ, then you are in the camp of being condemned by your sin. But if you embrace Christ, you entrust yourself to him, then you will be transferred into the camp of not being condemned. And so this character, this first character that we're looking at, this Roman ruler, Pilate, he is, in fact, a Roman ruler who is actually ruled by the crowd. <coughs> He's ruled by the opinion of others, which, as we read the passage, eventually leads him to condemning Christ to be crucified. He thinks he's being neutral, but he's ruled by the opinion of others. And by being ruled by the opinion of others, it actually leads to him going contrary to Christ and condemning him to be crucified. Galatians 1.10 is a verse that I have to consistently remind myself of of not being ruled by the opinions of others, not being ruled by trying to please people. Galatians 1.10, the latter half of that verse says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If your decisions are ruled by pleasing man, then you are not a servant of Christ. Maybe that's something that you need to confess today, something that you need to repent of, is being ruled by the opinions of others something that I constantly have to bring to the Lord. And so Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, count the cost. You will lose favor with others. Pilate wasn't ready to count that cost. He ended up condemning Christ. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, count the cost. Perhaps this morning you're suffering. I don't know what you might be suffering. Maybe it's spiritual suffering. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's physical, financial. Whatever that is, as we look at Christ, not only do we see him as an innocent man who's been condemned to be crucified, but he's also our model for how to suffer well. We've talked about this in previous sermons, but consider how Christ responds to those who are accusing him of various things. He has a steady and quiet confidence. He doesn't feel the need to defend himself. He doesn't feel the need to put the Roman rulers on blast. He has a quiet and steady confidence in his father that ultimately he will work this out. And so we see this Roman ruler being ruled by the opinions of others. And now we see a righteous redeemer. This is the second character that we're looking at. And you can put after this one in parentheses, Jesus. Jesus is the righteous redeemer. And so the question that we're asking as we look at this righteous redeemer is who is he? Who is Jesus? We've given you the broad answer, Jesus. But let's look at it a little bit more closely. Let's look at the text. And so first, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. We see this in Mark 14, uh, in verse 61. Again, the high priest asks him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus responds in the affirmative. He says, I am. And then we see in this passage, verse 2, where previously the religious authorities asked, Are you the Christ? Now the irreligious, the secular authorities, ask him, Are you the king of the Jews? This is a political question because it's a Roman ruler asking if Jesus is another ruler. Are you the king of the Jews? Because if so, this is what the chief priests and this is what the religious leaders are bringing to Pilate. They're saying he's the king of the Jews. They weren't saying he claims to be the Christ. They're saying he claims to be the king of the Jews. Because if there's one ruling authority trying to rule over a particular group of people, and that group of people say, this is our king, then that's an immediate threat. And so we see him asking Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Which is a political way of asking, are you the Christ? And he answers again in the affirmative, you have said so. But that's it. After that, Jesus is silent. He doesn't give any more answers. And so, not only is Jesus the king of the Jews, but he's also the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied about. We see in Isaiah 53, talking about this coming Messiah, this coming Christ, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet, he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is the king of the Jews, but he's also the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied about. He doesn't open his mouth, even while the chief priests and even while the religious leaders accuse him of many things, as you see in verse 3. Christian, we touched on this just a little bit ago. If you are going to follow Christ faithfully, you are going to be accused of many things. Some of those things may be intolerance. Some of those things may be narrow-mindedness. Some of those things may be just simply being unloving. 
Brothers and sisters, if you are going to follow Christ, you will be accused of many things that are very, much, very likely not true. However, we shouldn't, because having that knowledge doesn't mean that we should go looking for conflict, looking to try to find ways that people can disagree with us. We don't want to be quarrelsome. However, the other side of that coin, it does mean that we need to be faithful despite any conflict that may arise. So don't go looking for fights, being quarrelsome, but understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, there will be conflict. And you need to be faithful regardless of what comes up, regardless of the cost. Jesus himself said in Luke 6, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. And so don't be discouraged if in your faithfulness to Christ you're accused of things that may not be true. Be more concerned about pleasing God than you are about pleasing others. So Jesus is the suffering servant. Jesus is the king of the Jews, but also Jesus is perfectly righteous. He's without sin. So after the crowd tells Pilate to crucify Jesus, Pilate responds in verse 14. He says to them, why? What evil has he done? Now, this is a rhetorical question because Jesus has done no evil. The Pilate recognizes this, and he's only known Jesus for a few hours. The crowd recognized that their argument was lacking, and so rather than engage with Pilate's question, they just start to shout all the more. So when Pilate says, what evil has he done? They shouted all the more, crucify him. Because it's apparent that Jesus has not committed any sin. He is perfectly righteous. If there's anybody innocent in these trials, it's Jesus. He's perfectly innocent. And yet, the crowd shouts, crucify him. They shout even more, crucify him. So despite what others think, despite what the crowd thinks, Jesus is remaining faithful. He is the promised Messiah. He is the King of the Jews. He remains silent while others accuse him. He is the suffering servant that Isaiah pointed out. And he is without sin. He is perfectly innocent. In fact, he is the ultimate innocent one. There is nobody more innocent than Jesus who is on trial here. We may face adversity for following Christ. But may us, like John Trapp, the Puritan, Understand that adversity is the diamond dust heaven polishes its jewels with. Adversity is the diamond dust that heaven polishes its jewels with. Adversity makes us more like Christ. Or Thomas Watson, when he's talking about affliction, says affliction may be lasting, but it's not everlasting. Be faithful to this innocent one. Be faithful to Christ. But the third character that we need to look at here is the released rebel. And this is Barabbas. Now, who is Barabbas? We've talked about who Pilate is. We've talked about who Jesus is. And so now we need to talk about who Barabbas is. Now, Barabbas is a wicked man. 
He is a notorious prisoner, as Matthew 27 talks about. And so, when we just talked about Jesus being the ultimate innocent one, Barabbas is the stark contrast to him. Barabbas is a murderer, as Mark tells us, and Luke. Barabbas is a robber, as John tells us. And Barabbas is a rebel. Now, something to notate, this is interesting. Barabbas' name, Bar Abbas, means son of the father. Remember the name Simon Bar Jonah? Simon, son of Jonah. This is Bar Abbas. He's the son of the father. And this individual, this son of the father, is a wicked son of the father. He is imprisoned for his rebellion, and he stands in stark contrast to the righteous son of the father. And so when the crowd has an option between Barabbas or Jesus, the wicked son of the father, or the righteous son of the father, this sinful crowd chooses sin. They choose the wicked one. And the innocent one is condemned. And this story is a big picture of the gospel. That Jesus, the ultimate innocent one, is condemned so that Barabbas, the wicked son of the father, can go free. The guilty one is freed, not the innocent one. And if we're honest, when we look at this story, we're all represented well by Barabbas. We are rebellious. We have turned away from the Father. We are sons and daughters who have rejected him. And because of that, we are enslaved to our sin, as Barabbas was enslaved. Vassar Powell, a Puritan preacher and evangelist, said, There is no real bondage, but what is either from or for sin. There's no real bondage that is either from or for sin. Sin is our ultimate captor. It's one that holds us in slavery. However, freedom is offered. Freedom is offered through the innocent one who stands condemned in our place. And so those who are in Christ, as we look at this story, we're not offended at the idea of Barabbas representing us. Those who are in Christ recognize their guilt and bondage. Those who are in Christ agree that they are naturally rebels. I was having lunch with a, a friend who does not know Christ, and I was just trying to share the gospel with him a couple weeks ago. And he was telling me of a friend who was frustrated because this friend claims to be a Christian. And he's frustrated with the way that he's suffering. He says, I'm a good person, and I do the right thing, and I go to church, and I don't know why these things are happening to me. And, and I tried to gently tell my friend, hey, I don't mean to be the Debbie Downer here, but as great of a quote-unquote good guy your friend is, he's not a great guy. None of us are good. We've all fallen short. And so the fact that we don't suffer more is God's grace to us. So I was trying to let him know that, hey, ultimately, we are 100% dependent 
on Christ taking our place, on us receiving a righteousness that is foreign to our own. If it was 99.999% Christ and only 0.001% us, we would still be enslaved to our sin. It is entirely up to Christ to release us from the bondage that we have. And when we realize that we are Barabbas, here's what happens. Our pride evaporates. Pride goes away. You suddenly can't say, I'm a good guy. I deserve God's grace and God's mercies to me. When we realize who we are, that we are rebellious, that we are wicked in our sin, and our pride diminishes. Second thing that happens is our gratitude swells. We realize how much we've been given when we don't deserve it. And then the third thing is that Christ begins to appear magnificent. We see what he went through on our behalf. The things that he was accused of, the way that he was beaten, he was scourged, the way that he was crucified, ultimately being entirely innocent. But he did that so wicked rebels like ourselves can go free. Pilate had a decision to make, and he ended up choosing to condemn the king of the Jews, the innocent one, and release Barabbas, the guilty one. Whenever you hear about a a scandal in a large corporation or large organization, there tends to be a fall guy, somebody who ends up taking the punishment on behalf of all of those who are involved. Jesus is our fall guy. He has taken on, he's literally taken on the effects of the fall so that we can go free. So that those of us who are fallen in our sin could receive the reward that his perfect righteousness has acquired. Jesus takes our identity as rebellious sinners and gives us his identity so that we may enjoy the benefits of perfect righteousness. Because the king was delivered, the rebel may be released. We are rebels, naturally fallen in our sin. We, are, we rebel against God. But he in his kindness has sent his son to perfectly live the righteous life that we needed so that we could be restored to God so that we can know the love that he has for us in Christ. And so if you are in Christ, be reminded that your sin has been taken away because Christ has taken your sinful identity and given you his righteous identity. Be reminded that freedom is yours, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. And if you're not in Christ, Consider the freedom that is offered you this morning. The offer of salvation, the offer of freedom for Christ, through Christ, is extended to you. Will you embrace him? Or is there a crowd that is keeping you from following him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for our Savior. 
Thank you for seeing our fallen state and for sending your Son to take our sin so that we may walk in freedom. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.